Uh, this could get awkward, but I need to ask you something. Was that an awkward pause? <laughs> hey, it's Pastor Mike. Uh, I'm going to just get right to it. Did you know that Time of Grace is 100% donor-funded? That means that it's really only through your gifts that it's possible for us to use television and print and digital media to share the really good news of God's amazing grace. So, can I ask for your continual support so we can keep on making these podcasts and videos and books, all these resources to help people know Jesus and the eternal life that only he offers? If you're moved by the Spirit, I invite you to click on the link in the episode notes. Thank you so much, and God bless. I'm standing here today in the Garden of Gethsemane, at the very base of the Mount of Olives, on the other side of the old city walls of the city of Jerusalem. And I'm just thinking how crazy it is, how much Jesus loves us. You know, there's a part of Jesus' suffering and death that is so powerful, but you'll miss it unless you understand the geography of Jerusalem. So let me tell you a story from the Old Testament. Way back in the book of 2 Samuel, King David was betrayed by someone he thought he could trust, his own son Absalom. Uh, you can read the whole story if you want. His son Absalom had political ambitions. He betrayed his father, declared himself king, and David knew he was in danger. David, back in those days, lived in his palace uh, just to the south, uh, to the left of the gold dome behind me. So when he was in danger, do you know which way he ran? This way. He went down into the Kidron Valley behind me and he started to climb up the Mount of Olives because just on the other side of this mountain is nothing. It's a barren wilderness, a desert with caves and winding paths. It's the perfect place to run and hide, a place where no pursuing king wants to play hide and seek. Let me prove it to you from the book of 2 Samuel. It says, The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. David was in danger, so where did he go? That way, to the wilderness. And knowing that makes me think of what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. Remember the story from the Gospel of Matthew? Jesus celebrates the Lord's Supper in Matthew chapter 26. And then he comes to his favorite place to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, his close friend, is betraying him. The soldiers are being gathered. They're about to march out with their swords and torches. The disciples are all exhausted. Even Peter, James, and John are leaning up against these trees fast asleep. There are no witnesses. Nobody's watching. What could Jesus have done? Exactly what David did. I mean, his friends were sleeping here. All the danger was over there. He could have ran up there. He could have stopped at Mary and Martha's house just over the crest of the Mount of Olives, picked up some bread for his pockets, and ran into the wilderness to hide. He, he could have survived. Like David, he could have escaped. Do you know what Jesus did for you? He stayed. He knew exactly what was happening. He had predicted his betrayal. And he knew what it would cost him. That he'd be beaten, he'd be scourged, flogged, the crown of thorns, the robe, the mocking, the nails, the cross, the cup of God's wrath. He knew about all of it, but he chose to stay. What wondrous love is that? That Jesus would stay for us. I love that fact about Jesus. He, he sticks around even though it costs him. 
If you've ever tried to love a messy person, you know that love requires sacrifice. It takes patience and compassion, time and energy and so much forgiveness. And that's exactly what Jesus does for you. So if you ever wonder if you're loved, if you ever wonder if you're truly forgiven, if you ever question if Jesus could save a person just like you, I want you to remember this place, Gethsemane, that Jesus, like David, could have run. Instead, he stayed. In fact, he even woke up his friends and said, get up, let's go. Not up there, but down there. To his cross and to your salvation. That's the good news of the gospel that God teaches us right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Earlier this year, I got to explore Israel. I'm sitting literally in the place where Jesus' feet touched. I saw some amazing places. The old city of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, beautiful Nazareth, and the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I can't wait to share these video devotions with you. I'm standing in an amazing place today. I'm in the city of Jerusalem and I'm just at the base of a staircase that Jesus himself once walked. The building you see behind me is St. Peter in Galakantu. It's a church that commemorates the spot where Jesus was put on trial by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, and where Peter denied him. Uh, the stone steps just behind me are the ones that date back to the first century. And if this was indeed the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, Jesus would have been walked right up these steps where he was condemned to die. This church has a really interesting name, St. Peter in Galicantu. Uh, it's actually a, a Latin name that means St. Peter when the rooster crows. And maybe you know that story from the Gospels. That Peter comes to follow Jesus, he's going to be there for him. And then the people ask him, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And he's so scared that he denies him and the rooster crows. In fact, if you can see way up to the top of that church, there is a cross on top of the church, like many Christian churches. And then on top of the cross, there's a rooster. <laughs> a rooster and a cross, the, the symbol of Peter's greatest sin, his worst denial, the sin that he's remembered for more than any other, right on top of a cross. But I actually love that imagery. I mean, here's a church called St. Peter Galicantu. I wonder what my church would be called. St. Michael, fill in the blank with my worst sin. Or what your church would be called. St. whoever and that one thing that happened. You know, God and the Bible don't shy away from talking about the real stuff of life. Our struggles, our sins, the shameful things we wish we could forget. But did you notice the first word of the name of this church? Saint. <laughs> is that shocking? A, a saint in the Bible is a holy person, a pure person, a cleansed person. And this church not only talks about Peter's greatest sin, but his status as a child of God. He was Saint Peter. And through Jesus, so am I and so are you. Maybe with our words and actions, we haven't always represented Jesus well. Maybe there's some stuff that looking back, we're so ashamed that we weep like Peter did in this place. But that doesn't change God's mind about who we are. That through the blood of Jesus, we have been made saints. So let me share with you a passage from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter himself said this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
That's what we are. Saints, royal, holy because of what Jesus did. Peter denied Jesus in this place, but Jesus didn't deny his heavenly father. He carried out his mission. He was led to a cross so that you and I, no matter what our sin, could always be called saints. <laughs> That's another amazing lesson we learned in this amazing city called Jerusalem. Earlier this year, I got to explore Israel. I'm sitting literally in the place where Jesus' feet touched. I saw some amazing places. The old city of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, beautiful Nazareth, and the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I can't wait to share these video devotions with you. Some of the things that Jesus taught are really hard to believe and they're even harder to confess. I was at a coffee shop the other day with a couple who has some pretty serious questions about Christianity. And they asked me really directly, do you believe that? And I knew exactly what Jesus said. I knew what the answer was, but I also realized that if I said what Jesus said, it would be offensive. It would be irrational to them. Maybe you've wrestled with that too. There's been times in your faith where you didn't want to confess where we came from, how God created the world, or the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell and you need Jesus to go to one and, and not the other. There's times when, when Jesus himself, his very words and teaching offends us. And that's why I'm glad that I'm standing here today. I'm in Israel on a gorgeous day and I'm standing in the ancient synagogue of Capernaum, a place where Jesus taught one of his most offensive messages. It's called the Bread of Life Sermon and you can read all of it in John chapter 6. But here's what Jesus said, that if you want to have life, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when the people sitting in the synagogue heard that, they, they were shocked. Like, what does that even mean? And are you saying, Jesus, we need you to have life with God? Listen to how John ends that sermon in chapter 6. Jesus said this while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You catch that? Not just the crowds, but many of his disciples, the people who had traveled from around here in Galilee to be with Jesus, they said, No, we can't do this anymore. And so Jesus turned to his own apostles and he asked them this question. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love Peter's answer. I'm sure he was struggling as much as anyone else watching hundreds, maybe thousands of people leave the synagogue. There's only a dozen guys left. Do you want to go? And Peter said, Jesus, who else could give us what you give us? Who can offer us a life with God that never ends? And I love that Peter said that. Uh, he never claimed that following Jesus would be easy, that his teaching would be socially acceptable. But he did say that if you hold on to Jesus, if you don't lose your faith in his authority, power, and love, you have eternal life with God. And so whether at this very time and place in history, this teaching about Jesus is popular or this one isn't, you and I don't have to worry about that. Cultures change, opinions change, generations change. 
But here's what doesn't change, the life that never ends with God. So when you're tempted like I am, face to face with someone who's a skeptic, don't back down. Don't be mean, but boldly confess what you believe, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if they walk away thinking you're an idiot, just look up at Jesus and remember what Peter said in this very place. Lord, we're not going to go because you have the words of eternal life. That's a powerful message of sticking with Jesus that we learned right here in the town of Capernaum. Earlier this year, I got to explore Israel. I'm sitting literally in the place where Jesus' feet touched. I saw some amazing places. The old city of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, beautiful Nazareth, and the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I can't wait to share these video devotions with you. I'm standing at a massively important place in Israel. Just here, over my left shoulder, you can see this little mound, which is Mount Tabor. And that's the place where many people believe that Jesus was transfigured before three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. Uh, let me read you from Mark chapter 9. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. I love that line. Sometimes when we think about Jesus, we think of him in kind of a lame way. <laughs> you know, maybe we've seen those Sunday school color pictures too much and we, we forget that this is the real Jesus. That when he peeled back the curtain, when he revealed his glory, he was so bright and beautiful and powerful. The father saying, this is my son. I, I love him. That Peter's reaction was, I just want to stay here. Let's put up a shelter. Let's, let's keep this moment going. Because Peter knew when you see that kind of Jesus and you know that he's your friend, your Lord, and your Savior, you wouldn't have to be afraid of anything. <clears throat> I know you and I weren't on top of that mountain, but the same Jesus is the one that we trust in. He's so powerful and so good that you don't need to be afraid. So whatever's keeping you up at night, whatever stresses you have at work, whatever your doctor said that you're kind of nervous about, I want you to remember the Jesus of the transfiguration. N not just a weak savior, but one who is so full of power, he really can work out all things for your good. Because the Bible said after Jesus went here, he ended up on a cross. After the cross, he left the tomb empty. And then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, glorious and bright and beautiful, and all things are under his feet. Even the thing you're worried about. So remember this, Jesus, and you don't have to be afraid. That's the beautiful lesson we learned here in Israel at the foot of Mount Tabor. Earlier this year, I got to explore Israel. I'm sitting literally in the place where Jesus' feet touched. I saw some amazing places. The old city of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, beautiful Nazareth, and the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I can't wait to share these video devotions with you.
I am sitting here at an amazing place. Uh, I've spent today at the ancient Israelite city of Megiddo, and I wish you could be here because it's beautiful today. A uh, little breezy, but as I look around, I see the green fields of the Jezreel Valley. Uh, even today, famous for all the crops that they can grow here. And it was the same in the ancient world. Uh, if you're a father here in Megiddo, you could explore these fields, grow grain, your kids could run through them. Well, that is until an enemy army came marching through. And once the enemy came, you had to run inside the walls of the city of Megiddo for safety and for survival. And that's why this thing behind me mattered so much. Behind me is an impressively deep grain silo. Uh, the sign next to me says it could fit up to 450 cubic meters of grain. And they would fill this grain silo with all the grain they would collect in the fields for those times in their lives when they couldn't harvest the fields when danger was near. And I think about the spiritual application of this place. Now, obviously in life, we would love to find our happiness in a thousand different places. We love our jobs to make us happy and our friendships to make us happy. You know, we feel good, we have enough money, marriage is great, family is great. But you probably figured out the same thing I have about life, that sometimes it's not safe out there. Sometimes there are enemies to our health and our finances. There's all kinds of things that can happen that kind of make us run inside these walls and that's when this thing matters. I think of this grain silo a little bit like your soul and mine. Uh, is it filled up with enough certain hope in Jesus that we can stand those tough times in life? Have we learned enough about God and about the forgiveness we find at the cross? Do we have our own identity? Do we understand eternity so well that even if everything out there is kind of dangerous and messed up, there's a place that we can run to and our souls can still be full? This is the secret that the Apostle Paul figured out and wrote in a famous passage in Philippians chapter 4. He said this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, through Jesus who gives me strength. Paul had learned this secret that if you fill up your heart with Jesus, with his unconditional love, with his bottomless mercy, with all his spiritual food that can satisfy your soul, you can get by. Not just get by, Paul says, you can actually be content and rejoice and have peace because no matter what's going on out there, here behind the walls of your heart is something that keeps you satisfied. It's Jesus. So today as we think about this place, Megiddo, as we think about life with all its uncertainties and threats, I'm gonna encourage you today to fill up your soul. Meditate on the Word of God. Even if life is going good right now, fill up your heart so you're ready for that day when danger comes. And like Paul, you can say, whatever the situation, I've learned the secret of being content. I can do all this through Jesus. That's the amazing message we learn right here at Megiddo. Earlier this year, I got to explore Israel. I'm sitting literally in the place where Jesus' feet touched. I saw some amazing places. The old city of Jerusalem, the Garden of Gethsemane, beautiful Nazareth, and the Mount of Beatitudes, Capernaum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I can't wait to share these video devotions with you.